0: Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly, and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula, welcome. In today's episode, we will be talking to Stephanie Chi Berea a multicultural mindset and leadership coach with over 24 years of experience teaching embodied healing practices and creating brave spaces for belonging. She is a founder of multiple businesses and we talked to her about her journey, what led her to use entrepreneurship as a way to express her creativity and bring together community, the qualities that she has outlined as specifically feminine leadership qualities, how spiritual practice informs her work, and more. Steph lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, two children, and two cats. She loves to stay active through dance, yoga, surfing, hiking, and paddling, always seeking grace, strength, and confidence in relationship to nature. Steph holds a BA in biology from Columbia University and and is both a practitioner and educator of the science and philosophy of Tantric Hatha Yoga an initiate of the Sri Vidya tradition, a 5,000-year-old living wisdom tradition of the Himalayan sages. I think you will enjoy this episode. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that I've extended the early bird price for the vibrancy retreat in South India with me. That will be taking place November 12th through 22nd. The early bird Date now is August the 31st. So you have until then to apply at the link in the show notes. This is a chance for spirit-led business owners to rest, rejuvenate with Ayurvedic treatments at a beautiful eco-village. Go deep into your astrological birth chart with me and learn from guest teacher, Dr. Robert Zoboda, who will also conduct a fire ceremony on our first night. More info at the link in the show notes to apply. There are only a few spots available. So please do apply if you are considering it. There are also a few spots left for the Cosmic Business Incubator, which begins on September the 5th. This is a high support container to help you craft a clear message and an irresistible offering that draws in your ideal clients. You also get a one-on-one with me to deep dive into your birth chart and weekly strategy sessions and networking calls to support you. Check out the link in the show notes and book a call so we can connect and see if you are a fit. Before that call, I look at your birth chart and your business and we talk during the call to see if it feels like the right next move for you. And if not, I will happily give you a referral or resource to help you in your journey. Okay. Without further ado, here's my interview with Stephanie Chi Brea. Hello, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paula. Thanks for having me here. I am so excited to talk to you. You are a multi-founder of various businesses and I'm sort of curious to start with your entrepreneurial journey. When did this start? When did you start really wanting to have your own business instead of work for somebody else? Let's see. I
1: I think I will start by saying that I'm a creator by nature and I have a powerful imagination always looking to create or contribute in some kind of way to the overall sense of community or joy or belonging in any space I inhabit. I think that's been something I've always imagined and always wanted uh, for myself, even as a, as a kid and all of the different ways that my creative energies express themselves out into the world. I would say professionally, It wasn't until I had left kind of the formal structures of working within an institution or working within a corporation that I was able to see how not only could I potentially do things differently, but maybe that was really the only thing I wanted to do (laughs) was to try to do things a little differently to, to, in, you know, the first business that I Founded the first entrepreneurial project that I was involved in was this sacred learning space, Mela Yoga, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that was really born from me realizing how unsustainable the sort of current, or I should say, more traditional structure of yoga studio worked. And this way that I kind of realized not only the lifestyle was unsustainable from the teacher's point of view certainly from the studio owner's point of view, watching friends and colleagues of mine just totally burn out and try to continue to survive in a system where we were all barely surviving and potentially not even practicing the kind of wellness and vitality that we sought from our yoga, right? We weren't even honoring that. And I think coming into the yoga industry as someone who had a lot of experience in educational institutions, it was always just a little bit wonky for me to kind of have this, there were regulars in your classes, but not regularity. There wasn't a consistent thread where I could take my students through a progression, like a start, a middle and an end, a real feeling as though not only could I partner with them on that journey, but That they could begin to rely on one another and find community within that course of study and learning. So I just started it from the ground up and sought to do things a little bit differently, sought out some of my friends and colleagues who were doing it a little differently with course modules and chunks of learning that would happen over a course of time rather than these drop in classes. That was kind of how it all began. But really, it just in those times when we get maybe a break from our regular day-to-day or our habits, that's when we can start to see how we might imagine things differently, how we might imagine our businesses differently, how we might imagine how we do our work in the world differently. Like From my point of view, I think that's kind of like the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Where you're like, oh... How can I do this in a way that feels like it nourishes me as much as I am nourishing it?
0: I love that. And and you're like a multi entrepreneur with bricks and mortar experience, and online experience, and retreat experience. Like you've done so many different things. And right now, you're talking to me from Rangeley, Maine, where you have the Hideaway. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that place and what you were trying to create, bringing those values that you have about belonging and community. How does that play out in the space that you've created there?
1: Yes, I am broadcasting from the Rangeley Hideaway. (laughs) This is my coffee and co-working community center here in the Northwest mountains of Maine. We're 44 miles to the closest traffic light and make people very happy when they find an espresso machine (laughs) so far away in the woods. Even that, like why coffee? Well, there's no question that coffee is a, is a powerful, powerful source of community energy. You know, people have a ritual around it. I think it brings people together. I'll include tea in this. I don't want to discriminate in that way. Hot beverages. Yes. Absolutely something that brings people together for a kind of connection to not only one another, but to a space that I Created kind of from the ground up, I would say that's what's so different about this business now a year old is that it really came from the ground up. We built the building and then put the business in the building. So this has been a really profound journey for me, even more so in terms of like that process of going from vision and aspiration into the nuts and bolts, the day-to-day, the what's the next action I need to take to build towards the vision I'm holding? And how can I continue to remain flexible and open and curious and not let the work steal my joy, not let the work steal my connections with my family and loved ones?
0: I love that. And I know, like for example, that your coffee beans are coming from a roastery where they're saying mantras over the beans. So I want to say like, you know, there's intentionality in the decisions you've made and also in like the aesthetics, because I've been to the space. Can you talk a little bit about creating space, creating like both space where people can feel good, feel harmony, but also like this idea of creating like a sacred space or like a space where people feel good?
1: Yeah, it's it's that like how... I would say the question that I kind of came... Into this endeavor here at the Hideaway with, it was just like the same question. Maybe I went in to my projects back in California with the yoga studio or even some of my online programs, which is just like, how might I contribute? How might my community benefit from something that is new, something that is beautiful, something that is joyful? Something that is potentially like surprising in that, that way that surprise can result in delight. <laughs> I find that when we share those experiences in relationship to one another, whether or not I know you personally or not, you know, when you see an adorable little puppy with strangers around, everyone's just, <gasps> you know, that, that sh- shared sense of joy really and love, honestly, is, the connection that brings us real value when we are sharing in person space together. And, you know, I would say maybe it's all this uh, conditioning from my um, years of yoga study and practice, but there is also a way in which a uh, kind of a clarity of the space, you know, a slightly decluttered kind of space. Um, a space that invites you through, like color and smell, and the senses to even look up the placement of skylights or how the light comes in are ways that I think were impacted as humans. Um, certainly, from the sensory perspective, the bot, the gross body perspective, that we might not even need to be conscious of, but that automatically brings us into a, a more relaxed place less guarded, maybe less defensive, less fearful of one another, less individuated, which we can become a little overboard on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm curious, like through this process of having founded several different ventures, and now even helping female founders, what would you say really stands out about leadership? Like what what have you learned? How have you, how has it challenged you to become a better leader? Anything you want to share around that? Yeah, I,
1: as a leader myself, it's been a true practice of continuing to lean into support. I'm really good at being the center of a community or, you know, being the cruise director on the family, you know, weekend to make sure all the things Get done and all dietary preferences are accounted for, (laughs) like all of those kinds of things, you know, the, the, the tasks that are involved with potentially leading, guiding, hosting, right? Some kind of um, space or some kind of group experience together that, that's something that continues to become easier, like that sense of ease. The more I lean into support from, or I can see and feel the support that not only I've kind of created by drawing boundaries around time and space for self care or things like that, but really, hmm, what am I trying to say here? That that it doesn't have to be one person's sole vision um, and caring of that vision that has to like push you through. There's like a, a sense of fierce, I think, strength and independence that I was raised with, particularly as a girl. And, um, and as I look at kind of like the maternal lineage and the strong women in my family, that absolutely has to do with being able to do it all yourself, really then there are those times when it turns out you don't have to do it all by yourself. And actually might not even be as fun <laughs> if you do it by yourself all alone. Like receiving support, receiving help, um, and as a way that actually strengthens you as a leader rather than it being some sort of symptom or indication that you are less than or unable to do it. I also have found that when I'm working in shared leadership situations, um, particularly like when I'm hosting her festival here in Maine, which is a gathering of about 42 women, and there are anywhere between six and seven of us guiding that five-day retreat. um, That of course comes with its own challenging challenges as that, As would any shared leadership model, but we've really found a way to be in relationship with one another in a way that helps to support each other so that it just feels like a easier lift for all of us rather than it being one that, you know, maybe I take on or maybe one or two people take on. It's sort of like, remember when you'd be in like grade school and you'd have those group projects and there'd be, there'd always be the, person who was the self-appointed or maybe default leader <laughs> and then they did they did all the work they yeah. did all the things um there there's certainly that kind of drive to get it done on your own is is deep within my bones and starting to play with some of these more unfamiliar territories of like what would it look like if Not only did I delegate, but what would it look like if I even opened up some of the processes or some of the ideation for new creative ideas here at the Rangeley Hideaway? What if I opened that up to some of the people who are deeply involved here, who are working here, who help to sustain the space as well as the spirit of this place?
0: And I think what you're kind of leading to is that there's a different way that women lead than perhaps men have been taught to lead, right? And so maybe you can talk about like, what are the specific things that women founders experience or have you have experienced your clients have experienced that is different? Yeah, well, I would say that female founders
1: are often, we are often overworked, undervalued, And going at it alone, I think maybe that was this piece that I was just speaking to before. The going at it alone, maybe because what you hold as a vision or what you want to do is not part of the status quo. Maybe it is you feel that you're alone in it, um, in that you don't have the resources you need to get started, or to grow or transform in a way that you would otherwise want to. Those kinds of Limiting factors, I, I think are deeply entwined with some of the limiting beliefs that we as women hold within kind of a, I don't know, a 4,000 year history, right? Of potentially forgetting, not remembering, not knowing these different ways of being, ways of being that maybe involve a little bit more of um, a little bit more collaboration as I talked about sharing power rather than a dominance models and allowing time for deep rest and integration to allow for there to be a a natural rhythm to our creative cycle. (laughs) So that we, you know, create, we output, we have these periods of time when we're in like the doings, and then there is this time sort of like Shavasana at the end of the yoga class where you can maybe take some time to integrate, to digest, to assimilate, starting to honor those kinds of cycles rather than this model of productivity that I think you were talking about this, where it's just the rugged individualism and this myth that we gain our worth or we earn our worth by doing.
0: Mm. Yeah. So you kind of started speaking to some of these like feminine business or, or you know, feminine leadership qualities. I think we've talked about that several times. So maybe you can give some more examples if you want, like how women bring different qualities to the table or like a feminine approach to leadership differs. I think we're talking about it, but I would love if you have any other examples for people.
1: Yeah. Feminine leadership capacities are Not necessarily, right, only limited to inhabiting women or being wielded by women. These are capacities that any of us could potentially practice and learn. You know, my work is focused on women because it's a convenient categorization at times. (laughs) My work is focused on women because I, I am one. I know my own experience of living as an embodied woman and a business owner. In this world and the challenges that I face in terms of finding that support that I talked about among other women. So much of our condition, conditioning culturally is one in which we are competing with one another. We're ranking ourselves against one another. We're looking for those ways in which we are better than or we are stuck in the play, all the ways in which we are less than. I believe there's a lot of healing that still needs to be done in and among women and how it is that we hope to kind of shift workplace culture, how it is that we hope to shift the way that some of these systems and structures of business have otherwise dominated things for quite some time now. So, you know, first and foremost, I, it's gotta be vulnerability. (laughs) We're all so defended. We're so protected and in fear of one another and it takes a lot of courage to release that fear and come out of that place where we are really separate from one another because it can sometimes feel much safer to be separate from one another and come back into a place where we are willing to kind of drop those defensive structures, drop our armor and allow ourselves to be seen and heard and allow ourselves to see and hear others. It's got to start there. I know Brene Brown's done a lot of work on, on this and research on it. I wholeheartedly believe that vulnerability and, and leading with that, no matter what space you're inhabiting, even in relationship to yourself is a key piece of this, um, shift towards more feminine leadership capacities, kind of taking on a prominence and a strength. Cause a lot of it, a lot of times we call them the soft leadership skills, right? But it takes a lot of strength to be. Soft takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable. I know that firsthand because I also struggle with being seen, heard, and invisible as a woman. Being seen and heard and visible in the public is
0: a vulnerable place to inhabit. In our work together, too, I've heard you talk about abundance-focused leadership, like that there's enough for everybody, and that speaks to that collaboration piece too, um, like being willing to. Share your stage. I feel like I see women do that a lot, being willing to lift others up, being willing to give back to our communities and to people in need. I really feel like those are our kind of feminine leadership beliefs, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those, those limiting beliefs that I was speaking to earlier. Yeah, that's that, that speaks to that, that enoughness and how interesting it is that we can't always see that like my flourishing is your flourishing. My success can be your success. That there's enough to go around that enoughness. <laughs> Finding the enoughness and understanding your relationship to enoughness within your own like inner life, I think is where some of this work absolutely has to take place first within ourselves. I think that's what I'm focused on when I work one-on-one with clients and students, it's getting to that place where you can begin to claim or see or illuminate some of these like hidden, this hidden wealth within you, these hidden resources within you, these like this wealth of wisdom that your body can give you that your heart can guide you towards. These are not skills and practices that I was taught as a woman or, um, as a leader.
0: Mm. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause we're, you know, we're both in Maine. I'm not a Mainer. You're a Mainer. You grew up here. I'm curious to know more about, cause this is a very, like, I don't know, like rugged can do kind of culture. Like what influence did it have growing up in Maine? Did your, were your parents entrepreneurial? Like what, what influence did it have on your journey to running your own businesses?
1: Oh yeah, my, my parents, um, were definitely trailblazers. They were married. My father's a Korean immigrant. My mother is descended from white settlers here in Maine. So relatives first came over in the 1600s. Their marriage in the 1960s was still illegal because they were an interracial couple. So. In many ways, like from the get-go, they were already doing it all differently than most people around them, and certainly not to the you know joyful reception of their parents even <laughs> and their families. So they lived um, in a few different places around the world. My father was an oceanographer, and then became involved in the fisheries business. They landed back in Maine, where. Um, they purchased a wharf on the waterfront in Portland and began to run in a fisheries business, a global fisheries business out of there importing and exporting um, fish and seafood. And that was kind of a little bit of where I grew up was running around on the wharf. And there's something about the smell of the Portland waterfront or any Working waterfront, if you know it, you'd know it. And it kind of smells like home to me. <laughs> and I would say work ethic was definitely drilled into me. There was, you know, a way that I learned to do for myself, um, in some ways and by just kind of like following, uh, the modeling of my parents and really that like, their out of the box marriage, their out of the box way of building family and choosing to do it in Maine really was a, a powerful force in my life for for giving me, I think for more permission to be more creative in all that I endeavored to do academically or otherwise. In terms of like the main spirit, uh here it's a place that's not so easy to live year round. Winters can be incredibly harsh and it can be uh somewhat isolating. There aren't a lot of people in maine, so that being said you know the 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 lineage of uh, my maternal line was absolutely one of women who worked and did. The lion's share of child care, child rearing, mending anybody who was sick in the family, anyone who needed anything. Um, that kind of caretaking for relationship, for family, for children, for elders has continued to be something that we don't necessarily see or feel as val, as real value. Many. Many of us who do that kind of work, it doesn't necessarily come with a paycheck with it or with any kind of like celebration or gold watch after 20 years or anything like that. (laughs) And so it just becomes the thing that you, that's expected of you. And in addition to that, also a professional life. Also, you know, what are the other ways in which you're working? outside of the home outside of family life outside of home life to contribute to society all the women in my family have i've watched them do it all you know i put that in quotes like do it all all the things and also to the point where health and well-being really take a toll and as i said earlier you know when the work robs us of our Connection to joy and our connection to our connections, our relationships. That's when we really need to reevaluate our systems and structures. I don't think it's necessarily always like personal behavior. There are certainly these larger influences that are worth revisiting in terms of how it is that we decide to spend our work, our professional time and our home time. Those certainly those like certainly those barriers between work and home life have been blurred since the pandemic. (laughs) And we're all, I think, trying to navigate what that looks like. Is it a three days in the office kind of thing? Is it a four days of work? You know, what, what is a more sustainable rhythm of work and joy and play and home and love and all the things?
0: Yeah, totally. I'm curious because I've heard you talk a lot about belonging as well. Like that's an important concept and growing up in like a multicultural household. How did that influence you to really take this on as a value?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely one of the major themes in my life. Growing up in a small town in Maine where we were pretty much the only multiracial kids, multicultural kids at my school, in my community. And mind you, like my mom is white, blonde hair, blue eyes. So I'm even just like, I am white too. It was always confusing for me as a kid because I felt like I was the same as everybody else. Um, It felt culturally like I was in the right place because this is all I knew. Uh, I didn't really know a lot of Korean culture. It was not really something that was near to me, um, other than through my father, who also um passed when I was nine. So, so much of my identity was embedded in this community of which I never really truly felt like I belonged to. The kind of dehumanizing language and the, and the othering, you know, whether or not it was, you know, meant with ill intent or not really shaped my idea of myself as someone who just didn't belong. I was like destined to a life on the land of the misfit, island of the misfit toys or, or something like that. And so I, I would say pretty early on my, solution, my adaptation, I should say, um, to a lack of belonging was to actually create space for others to feel that. A deep sense of empathy for sure, which helps, I think, and continues to help in my work as a founder and a leader. And the mindfulness of of language, the words we choose, and also a uh, kind of compassion for when the language is not perfect or there um that others may use. But space for belonging is been, I, I'd say one of those threads that's just continued through all of the work that I did when I was in the corporate world, when I was an educator in the schools, when I was running a yoga studio, and and certainly here in this coffee shop and community center, having a place where you feel as though you are greeted and received with humanity and kindness is something that is just always something I've always sought out. And as a result, found out that I was creating it.
0: Yeah. I know you use the term brave spaces and I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We can't guarantee any one person's psychological safety. Um, even, you know, when I'm leading retreats or when I used to lead yoga teacher trainings, there's no way to guarantee it because I don't know all of the individuals in any given place well enough to know all of their stories and all of their life experiences and and what has brought them into a place that then makes them feel as though they are unsafe. I just can't guarantee that. I don't know that any leader can guarantee that. There are ways in which we can acknowledge and manage and create containers and and, and norms that help us into that place. But I think what's been like missing most in leadership culture is are these spaces where we can actually have difficult conversations where it just, it's not, you know, we're all so cornered off in so many ways in terms of our beliefs or where we are in a polarity (laughs) that we've like lost that ability to Allow for the room for repair, room for saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong gesture, that there has to be a little bit of space for grace, a little bit of space for grace. That's what brave space really gives me and what I hope that it offers up to others because it's only through our more vulnerable shared stories our experiences that we can begin to have a greater understanding for one another. And then ultimately, those places where we share commonality, places where we can come together towards unity rather than separation.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Can you share a little bit about how you're working with female founders too? Because you're actually like coaching them and giving them support around these things, right? Yes, I love my one-on-one coaching clients. I really
1: get a lot out of the one-on-one relationship I always have. It's part of what drew me into the yoga tradition and the trainings that I went to was that it was more of a prescriptive practice, right? You know, when it can be a true journey of that individual, their unique circumstances, exactly where they're at. And helping to empower women through these times of accelerated growth and transformation is something that I continue to truly enjoy. And I'd love to inspire and uplift women into action, you know, from that dreaming stage into the doing stage, um, in terms of what it is that they want to add what is the next step what's the next dimension what is the next way in which we want to stretch ourselves to continue to claim more capacity for joy more capacity for for spaciousness more capacity for tending to our relationships and our ecosystems
0: beautiful so you and i both love chanting <laughs> so i want to ask you about the the role that mantra plays in your business Ooh, the role that Muntridge plays in my
1: business. It's so much a part of me. And my business is so much a part of me. I guess it's just part of this greater coherence. And maybe that's like where I should start with this. My theme for the lunar year of 2023 is coherence. And it and I love this word because it really speaks to this way that I like to work with other women too, where we're looking at all of the competing priorities. We're looking for all of the different threads of personal and professional work and life and finding a way for it to exist in a more harmonious, (laughs) more coherent orchestra, right? More coherent way of being and doing that doesn't feel so fragmented and so much like these things are competing with one another. So coherence for me really started to become a palpable thing in my life when I started working with chanting on a daily basis, I would say. Chanting for me is a way to move my mind and my body and my heart, like all aspects of my bodies. And to that place of coherence, the mantra that I chant out loud every day is this uh, cluster of 15 plus one mantras, the Sri Supta. And it is a way for me to spend time in that vibratory resonance, that coherence, that place of vibration that is beyond like me having to think about it or inquire or pull apart anything that is beyond me maybe even what I can perceive and just allows me to be in that place of receiving the sound I'm creating and that being around the energies in this case of Lakshmi, of abundance, of enoughness, of inclusivity and of belonging, that wholeness. So that, that happens for me every day is the, (laughs) It's that kind of chanting and absolutely as a result informs how it is that I show up at work each day. And then I'd say the other way that it really informs my business is my has been my relationship to fear and really starting to look at the role that fear plays, fear as a teacher, and also one that you can Invite in and then, and then release back out.
0: (laughs) So you and I have been working together. You've been a client this year and I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about what it's been like to get support from me in your business. Maybe you can talk also a little bit about the Vedic astrology lens and how that supported you.
1: Yeah, I would say that I was drawn to you almost immediately because of this one phrase or this one piece. That you offered out there, this idea of like cosmic business being one that is more like our spiritual practice and to approach our business with that kind of love and devotion (laughs) and also to approach that practice as one that's allows for adjustment and that space for grace we were talking about and that kind of permission to maybe have it look a little differently than what we had, you know releasing the the fruits, releasing a little bit of those expectations, you know, engaging in the practice for because there's something to be revealed, and I think you've really helped me, I know you've really helped me to gain a greater understanding of what it is that I already have and am and how to distill that into an essence that can directly impact and benefit, you know, in this case, a very specific population of female identified founders and leaders, which was like something I was already doing. (laughs) I was already doing this work, but I, I just had never named it. I hadn't, I didn't have that same, I don't know. I just didn't have that that frame. Yes, I would say that's one of the major ways that I've benefited. Your astrology continues to surprise and delight me (laughs) because it helps me not to take things so personally. I I believe that it gives me a, a larger view, lets me see a little more forest from the trees or a little more universe from the point on the planet, so that i can just give myself a connection to something that is greater than myself that is older way way older that is cyclical that changes and mutates and and it just i would say in that way like has always given me a really good frame i don't know where i'm going with this but kind of where it was.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I'm looking at your chart over here as you're talking. We've talked a lot about being in Saturn and uh, you know, it can be a hard for a business owner because Saturn's so constricting. It causes you to like those fears you were talking about. It it elevates the stuff that we need to look at. And that can sometimes get tiring because it's like, okay, now this, okay, now this, you know, so maybe you can just talk about like how understanding yourself to be in that, that period has helped you to kind of grapple with those pieces that can be really, you know, bitter or disappointing about being in Saturn. (laughs) It can be all of those things. Well, I've reframed
1: it as this, you know, insistence about on precision. It feels a little bit like that. Like it's as though some of these perceived obstacles that show up are just a lovely invitation to kind of pause, see, look at it, maybe understand something about it, and then decide whether or not there's an adjustment that needs to be made or which probably there is. And (laughs) even if it's just, you know, just moving the picture frame two degrees over that I think it's really helped me hone my ability to work more precisely, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. I love that word precision over perfection, because Saturn can get us constricted into trying to do things perfectly, get it just right. And then as a result, we don't let things get out of our hands or we obsess about it if we do you know it causes that kind of constriction with the mind but precision is a different thing it's more like i'm doing the best i can and paying attention and it's yeah. it's going out it's things are still moving but i'm trying to be as precise as possible you know what i mean
1: i would say it's also really helped me with my relationship to impact i think as a founder and a leader you know i i have this deep desire to have really lasting, powerful impacts for the greater good, positive impact in my community and in my relationships. And that can sometimes get a little distorted, or we can get a little carried away and think that we are going to have more impact if we have 100x more followers, or we can have more impact if we have that much more. Let's just leave it at that. Rather than it being potentially that my impact, not only do I not really have a true understanding probably of the impact that I have on a daily basis, but that every moment is an impact. And it's it's so it's that kind of slowing down of Saturn too, where it's like, oh, you're having impact right now. It's one of the things I love about mantra, right? It's like I'm having an impact on a subtle field of vibration. That's around us all the time and may not necessarily be something I can like see and feel and like measure or have a count of, but it's, um,
0: it's not to be underestimated. So I'm curious what it means to you to work in alignment with your purpose. What it means to work in alignment with my
1: purpose is that piece I think I spoke to at the very beginning of our conversation, this where My work is nourishing me and I am nourishing my work from a place, uh, where I feel established in my authentic presence and certainly having mantra or having an affirmation or having some core values that you kind of bring to mind to bring you back into that place and space of presencing. That's been a really potent way for me to for me, for me to frame that. Working my purpose is also largely a human endeavor. I like to be in and around humans um, in person, I would say, like I don't know, have it, I would say working in my purpose feels joyful. It feels generous. You know, there's a kind of feeling like my work is nourishing me and I'm nourishing my work, living into my purpose, working in my purpose. It's not just living into my purpose. You're talking about working in my purpose.
0: Either or. So it's, it's really like, what does that feel like? What's the quality of that from your perspective?
1: Yeah. It feels like I'm living in my core values. You know, it feels light, not always, but I would say, you know, we're 51%. We're pretty good. (laughs) It feels light, like maybe more, more buoyant because I feel as though I have the resilience when disappointment comes or things don't go according to plan or there's no... Caramel syrup to add to the lattes, which happens to be the most popular flavor. We just ran out a little more quickly than we thought we would. <laughs> to give myself kind of, I think buoyancy might be the word for it. Like That ability to recover more quickly and come back um, and not to fall into despair or disappointment or frustration. Not that those aren't valid feelings. It's like, how long do I stay there? Um, I know if I'm really working in my purpose, I don't stay there for long. There's a a remedy that I can put together, you know, with a, a an hour and a half walk in the woods or sometime, you know, with the lake. There's a way that I can come back to myself more quickly when I know that my
0: work is aligned with my purpose. Thank you for that. Yeah. So I have a few rapid fires for you. Are you open to that? Sure. So what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life?
1: Okay. I think I've told you this before, but it's got to be this piece of advice that my Sanskrit teacher gave me probably 10 years ago, which is participate. Don't perform. As a trained performer, I was a trained dancer, trained musician, I'm trained model, like I was sort of, I had a lot of training around performing. It's been a really profound thing for me, not only in my own chanting and personal practice and spiritual practice, but really this idea of how it is that I show up in a room, how it is that I choose to inhabit any space, any role that i find myself in in my work life in my home life what are the ways in which we can move towards that towards that perfectionism <laughs> you know the tendencies that i have towards a perfect performance rather than it being this perfect participation where i understand that my value my contribution comes from my being my essence it doesn't have to to look or be or ascribe to a certain predetermined role or expectation. Or it doesn't have to be
0: earned, it sounds like as well. Or it doesn't have to be earned. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's really helpful for people. So my next question is, do you have a morning routine? If so, what part is non-negotiable for you? Well, coffee
1: (laughs) (laughs) is non-negotiable. No, that's part of it. Certainly. Silent mantra. Absolutely. Is non-negotiable every morning before I even, uh, get out of bed, actually. Before I even move from the sleeping to the waking world. Sort of care of the physical body in the morning in really great ways, whether it be like tongue scraping is absolutely non-negotiable. I can't imagine my life without tongue scraping. I don't know how I ever did it (laughs) before. And the, this another practice of Agnisar really just like working to get myself fired up for the day, really feeling as though I can move into my day from that resourced place that we spoke about from that place where I'm attuned to some of these energies of abundance and and prosperity, starting my day there rather than in the less than space.
0: So what are you reading right now? Or is there a book that you would recommend that has meant a lot to you? Yeah, I would say what I'm reading right now
1: is I keep going back to Atomic Habits by James Clear, this message for high performers like me, right around this around consistency over intensity, which is a largely more feminine capacity, right? This way of working through um periods of high intensity that way. In terms of a book that's meant a lot to me, I think everybody needs to be reading Sacred Instructions by Sherry Mitchell. It continues to be a really guiding, powerful text for me in my relationship to nature, in my relationship with my um, settler ancestry, and in my relationship to this felt sense of belonging that I have always known,
0: seen and experienced here in nature in Maine. I love that book. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, How can people connect with you online and find out more about your work? Let's see. You can find me online at stephchi.com
1: and on Instagram at stephchi. And I... Would invite you to go kind of check out my one-on-one coaching program. I think I have two spaces open for September and potentially more towards this idea of community building and the founder's journey, not being one to do alone. I host a number of retreats throughout the year and I have one coming up December 9th through 15, the fire and water retreat in Baja. Super easy to get to. Beautiful, beautiful location between the desert and the ocean. And um, we're going to do a lot of really good work around transformation and visioning before the new year descends. So yeah, check out what is going on. I also have an audio newsletter and all of the ways that you can connect with me.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. I just really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for all that you do, all that you've done with me and for being in Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so nice being here. I love it. So yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Paula. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.